right. Good morning, John. Good to see you. How is everyone? Pretty solid. How's everyone going with their prayer and fasting at the moment? We're about halfway through at the moment. Who's, uh, who's found that God is doing some things in your life that maybe he wouldn't have been doing to the same degree if maybe you weren't doing this? Has anyone got any, you don't need to come up and share them at the moment, but has anyone got any um, testimonies or has God done anything in you since we've started this 28 days of prayer and fasting? Put your hands up if he has. Okay. John, Joel, yeah, a few people. Yeah, okay, right. Yeah, cool. Yeah, thanks for sharing that testimony, by the way, Carla. Yeah. Yeah, God's been doing some really good things. And um, uh, I really feel like God is he's, he's doing some, some really cool things in this church at the moment. I, I feel like he's uh, repositioning us. And... Um, when God repositions people, it affords them the opportunity to grow the way he wants them to grow. When you're standing in a position that's maybe not in Christ or you've got things that maybe aren't in Christ, then, then those things can't really grow properly. You know, I'm a, I'm a bass player. I think it's the funkiest instrument in the entire world. I love worshipping God on a bass. And uh, when I first picked up the bass, I was 13. In year seven, my dad got me a bass starter pack, which means I got this like simple bass guitar and this tiny little amp, and I was rocking out, and I had no idea what I was doing. And I never had a teacher. I didn't even know if YouTube existed then, so I couldn't like cheat with you know tutorials or anything like that. Um, and and because I had no one inputting into me, I I learned a lot of things wrong. Even just coming down to how I was playing the strings, and you know I'm I'm trying to play and move this hand around and and these two fingers are just flying around every single time I'm trying to change. There was, there was no real consistency in what I was playing. And so I always struggled to play things that weren't even really that hard, just sort of, you know, like intermediate level stuff. I always really struggled. And um, because of that, I, I didn't really feel motivated. And uh, I only ever practiced when there was a gig coming up, which was like once a year. And it was for something got to do with school because we didn't really book gigs. And, um, and then eventually I just gave up on bass altogether, right? And, and, uh, and then several years ago, uh, I picked up a bass. I was like, oh, man, I missed this. And then Pastor Micah took the opportunity to try and get me onto the music team. And I was like, no, I don't even have a bass. It's a requirement for being on the music team that you have an instrument and you're able to practice at home. He said, I'll give you a bass. So he bribed me. And... It worked, and I, <laughs> I took a bass home, and, and I started practicing and joined the music team. And, and, uh, and now, you know, there's things like YouTube and stuff, and, and I've subscribed to, like, a bass academy, and, and, and I'm able to learn, and, and I'm learning so much, and I'm motivated now. But the hardest part about coming back to it is that I've had to relearn a lot of things. And so just coming down to the simple things I play, learning to just be consistent with my fingers instead of having it fly all around the neck and whack somebody in the face and, and learning just how to play properly so that I can play quickly and it can sound good and, and it can sound even. Just, just all the little things that's like just, you know, you've got to go back and learn and I've got to retrain my motor cortex to just get my muscles used to doing this again. It was really frustrating, but I knew it was necessary. And now, 
I'm more motivated than ever to play the bass. I just love it. I could spend hours on it, and I have so much fun, and I'm just learning so much all the time. And, uh, but that's because I went back to basics. <laughs> Moving on. Um, but I feel like God is doing the same thing with that, uh, with, with us in the Spirit. I feel like He's bringing us back to basics. I feel like He's repositioning us so that we can learn some things properly instead of sort of going on our own tangent and then ending up in trouble and wondering why God put us in that situation, you know? And uh, I think one of the things God is bringing us back to is that we're kingdom citizens first. Um, I love my Australian citizenship. It's, it's not a snub on Australian citizenship. Um, and I think if I know that I'm a kingdom citizen, I ought to be an even better Australian citizen because I ought to treat it with the respect that it deserves. But we are first kingdom citizens. We first belong to the kingdom of heaven. And I'm not trying to make Australia... I'm not trying to make heaven like Australia, am I? I'm trying to make Australia like heaven. Like, I want to bring Jesus to my country, you know, because we're all disciples of Jesus, first and foremost, amen? And uh, let's turn to Jeremiah chapter 31. And while we're turning there, I'm going to pray. Thank you, Jesus, that... um, You have bought us with your blood and that you have shared your inheritance with us. That we are sons and daughters of the living God now because of you. That we are disciples of you and we are citizens of the kingdom of heaven. Lord, I pray you teach us the simple things around these truths that we can grasp. And Lord, even if there's just a a small part of what we can uh, take away uh, today from, from what you're saying, then, then may it go into us and Lord, help us to mull over these words. And Lord, we ask that you change us. We ask that you humble us and sear our hearts, Lord Jesus, and, and change us. Have your way in us and, and speak to us today and encourage us. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, Jeremiah 31, verses 33 to 34. For this is the covenant that I'll make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them, and I'll write it on their hearts, and I'll be their God, and they shall be my people. And no longer shall each one teach his neighbor and each his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me, from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I'll forgive their iniquity, and I'll remember their sin no more. So many of us know this is talking about the new covenant that was established with Jesus Christ. When, when Jesus came to this earth and he lived and he died and he rose again and he paid for our sin and he set us free. And when we receive Christ, we receive the forgiveness of sins and we receive new spiritual life and he comes to live inside us. That's the new covenant. And now we're not living by uh, my own strength anymore. You know, Jesus' redemptive work sets you free from your own self-effort. Amen. And so uh, that's the covenant we live in now. But that wasn't the covenant they lived in then. See, to know the Lord, they would do exactly what we're all doing right now. Just call this church building a synagogue. And, you know, there'd be a a rabbi up here and you'd all come in and you'd hear whatever it is that I'm talking about from the scriptures. And that would be basically the only way you get to hear about God and and get to have a reference for God. And, and, you know, you can still pray and, and God will answer your prayers and stuff like that. But... The way you would learn about God is you would come to a place where there are scriptures because 
not every family had the scriptures. They were really just in the temple. They were few and far in between. And, um, you know, we, we got it pretty good now, don't we? This is talking about not just coming to hear the scriptures, but the scriptures are in you because Jesus is in you. Like you've got everything you need. And you don't need someone else to teach you. Teaching is great. I, I love teaching. It's good fun. And I, you know, I think it's uh, necessary in many ways, but it's not necessary to our relationship with God. All you need is you need the Bible and you need the Holy Spirit. Okay? You know the Lord. He's already put everything inside you that you need. And the more you spend time with God and ask Him about it and, and, and allow Him to show you these things, that will build inside you and, and change you. And that's just the gospel, and the gospel is all you need. You don't really need anything else. There's lots of great knowledge in the world, but the only thing that is eternal is the gospel. It's all you need. So we've all got a, a personal, intimate relationship with God through Jesus Christ now. It's not, it's not secondary. And uh, so I'm, I'm very thankful for the, the time that we live in, the, the covenant that we've got with God and the fact that I can have a, an intimate relationship with God myself and I don't need anybody else to tell me, hey, Jamie, you need to know the law. Well, I do. But the other interesting thing about the age we live in is, I'm sure you can all agree with me, we live in the age of information. There's more information now than there ever has been in history. Like, what, whatever you want to find out, you can find out like that. You can just go on your phone and look it up. You, you've got the world's knowledge at your fingertips. Pretty mind-blowing. And, you know, th there's pros and cons to that. I'm, I'm very thankful for the age I live in. I'd rather live now purely because of all the information than, than even 100 years ago where I'd have to go and search for it and, you know, I wouldn't just be able to find the exact reference or anything like that. Uh, and and this, um, this, how do I say it? This sort of wealth of information has, has translated into the church with also some pros and cons. But I really just want to address one of the cons right now. Um, I think information has replaced intimacy as the marker for spiritual maturity in a lot of ways. Would you agree with me? Like, it's just too easy to look up a banging sermon on YouTube, you know? Like, I, I want to learn about the cross. All right, I'm, I'm going to go and look up some mad preacher, and, and he'll preach fire, right? It'll, it'll be amazing, and, and I'll be like, oh, yeah, that's good. Come on. And, you know, the Holy Spirit will still probably speak to me through it, and like that stuff all has its place. I'm not anti-information, but what I mean is information really should be brought into its proper place. It's it's too easy to seek a revelation through someone else than just to hear God for myself. You know, because you don't need to wait for information. I want to find something out. I want to find it out now. You know how many times I get tempted when I do my devotion. Like I'm reading my Bible and, and God's taking me down a rabbit hole and, and something really confuses me, right? And I'm like, whoa, 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 whoa what does that mean? How, what is the answer to that? And you know what I want to do straight away? I want to call up you know, several ministers that I know that sort of live in different towns who I know are real brainiacs, like Grant Redman or David Wright or something like that. So I used to call them in the past. And sometimes I just want to call them up and say, what does this mean? But often I'll hear the Holy Spirit say, no, Jamie, 
You don't need them. How about you listen to me? Because hearing a revelation from God is so much better than hearing a revelation from someone else. Hearing a revelation from someone else is great if I go away and I pray about it and I mull over it and I start walking it through with God. But if I just hear it and go, oh yeah, then it's not really of any value to me. It's adding to my knowledge base, but it's not changing me. It's not increasing my spiritual maturity. You don't have to wait for information. I think that's why it's easy to go to information instead of just saying, hey God, what does this mean? Because you've got to wait on the Lord. But it's valuable waiting on God's answer. It's valuable waiting for His voice. Because it, like filling my head with information is not going to stand the test when the devil comes and attacks me. It's not going to stand the test when some trial in the world comes and attacks me. It's not going to stand the test when I've got you know, a $1,000 bill that was due last week and I've got no money and I'm panicking. What will stand the test is my fellowship with Jesus and whether or not I'm willing to wait for him. Because remember, those who wait on the Lord will renew their strength, will rise on wings like eagles, will run and not grow weary, will walk and not be faint. Information doesn't do that. You know, say so information's great, but it's got to be brought into its proper place. It's secondary to your fellowship with Jesus Christ. And you know, our, our relationship with God doesn't change. I think I'm just going to make that point. Our relationship with God is, you are a, a son or a daughter of the Father through Jesus Christ, and you're a co-heir with Christ. That's your relationship with God. That doesn't change. It doesn't matter how much you go like that with your life or how many mistakes you made. You're covered by the blood of Jesus. So you're always welcome as a son or daughter. But your fellowship with God can change depending on your level of surrender or you know, whether or not... You, that, that's entirely up to you depending on how you feel during the day and how you're going to respond to God or react against Him or run away from Him or run towards Him or, or whatever. Your level of fellowship is up to you but not your relationship. That's, that's decided upon the new covenant that we have with Christ. Okay, so, you know, we're called to be like Jesus. We're called to be disciples of Jesus. What is a disciple? Someone yell out the, the one word explanation for disciple for me. Not John Webb, as he did in the 830 service. What's a disciple? Thank you, a follower. But let's unpack that now. Let's unpack that from a Jewish perspective. Vicky, you're Jewish for the purpose of this sermon. You're not just a Jewish person, you're a rabbi. Okay, you're very, very special. Everyone really honors you when you walk in the room. All right? And and you come up to me and you say, Jamie, you're going to be my disciple now. And I'm like, sweet. I've always wanted to study under Vicky. And, uh, And so I start following Vicky. But... What does that mean that I'm going to start following Vicky? It's not about she's just going to sit down and show me the scriptures. I'm going to pay attention to what Vicky's wearing. Okay, you know what? I better use another example because you're a woman and I don't need... Let's say John's my rabbi. And I'm looking at the way John is dressed. I'm going to try and dress the same. Okay? 
<laughs> I'm not going to try and wear a dress, although their robes kind of wear like dresses. And uh, so I'm going to look at what John's wearing. I'm going to start wearing the same thing. I'm going to look at the way John speaks to people. I'm going to start speaking the same. I'm going to listen to the words he uses. I'm going to look at the tone he uses. I'm going to think about why he says the things he says. I'm going to look at the way he sits down at his dinner table and eats his food. And I'm going to try and do it the same way. I'm going to be his little copycat in every single part of his life. And it's not going to annoy him because it's his job to make me his little clone. Like, does that make sense? I'm going to do everything like John that I possibly can. Because I'm trying to become like him. I'm trying to think like him. And everything I do, he's going to scrutinize. Not in a bad way. But let's just say, you know, I buy something at the stall or something and I do it in a particular way. John's going to say, why'd you do it like that? He's not trying to get me to doubt myself. He's trying to get me to evaluate myself and think about why I'm doing these things. You know, there's a real thought process behind this about why you're becoming who you're becoming. And I'm trying to become like John, right? And... <laughs> I shared this in the first one. I'm going to share it again. This is super duper creepy, all right? So brace yourself. <laughs> Disciples would often be so desperate to become like their rabbi that in some cases they had been known to sneak into their master's bedchamber to watch their rabbi make love to their wife. Not because they're a freak, but because they wanted to learn how to make love to their own wife in a good, godly way. Like, that's how desperate they were to become like their master. Like, which to us, it's like, that's weird. You know, but it also kind of makes sense when you think about it. Don't do it, but it makes sense, right? So my whole job now as a disciple of John, the Dalla, is to become... Discipleship wasn't about learning things. It was about becoming like a person and then interpreting the scriptures based upon the likeness of that person and their thinking. So it wasn't just about interpreting the scriptures. It wasn't just about knowing things. That's what a follower means in the biblical sense. So when Jesus says... Make disciples of all nations. Who's, who are we making disciples of? Jesus. That means we're supposed to do everything like Jesus. And every part of our life is supposed to look exactly like Jesus lived. John 14, chapter 12 says, um, Truly, truly, I say to you, he who believes in me will do the works that I do. And greater things will he do because I'm going to the Father. So we're to be like Jesus in absolutely every facet. Now, when I look at the life of Jesus, I notice that he was really about two things. Or that there were, there were two things that really made him who he was. One was he always knew what the objective was. He always knew what he was about. What was he about? He, he was about the father's business, right? Well, what's the father's business? The father's business was... I mean, what Jesus went to do, the, the perfect life that he lived and going to the cross and dying and rising again and doing everything 
for us to reconcile us to God. I mean, that's what Jesus was about. But he had that picture in his mind the entire time so that everything he did in his life added up to that and he was able to fulfill it. So that's one thing. He always had that goal in mind. You know, Hebrews 12.2 says, um, looking to Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him. You know, he looked beyond the bad stuff that was about to happen. And that's why he was able to go through it. But it was the Holy Spirit that led him through it. So number one, he always had the objective in mind. And number two, he was led by the Holy Spirit. Jesus never did anything outside of submission to God. In his whole life, he said, the, the words I use, I've heard from the Father first. Jesus didn't speak on his own authority. He always spoke with the authority of the Father. And he was always led by the Holy Spirit. Now, if Jesus was led by the Holy Spirit, we ought to be led by the Holy Spirit. Because we're cactus if we think we can do it by ourselves. If Jesus didn't even try to. <clears throat> Go to Galatians 5. 16 to 26. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. And the, For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you're led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rival, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. So knowing the gospel and being led by the Spirit are two different things. Although they are linked to each other, they are married to each other, you can't properly do one without the other on either side. I'll argue that you can't effectively be led by the Holy Spirit unless you're learning the gospel well. And I don't just mean head knowledge, I mean learning it intimately and incorporating it into your life. Because every part of the gospel, not just the death of Jesus, but the whole gospel has application to your life. See, if I don't know the gospel well... I'm always going to struggle to be led by the Holy Spirit because the gospel is our reference point. It's our, like Jesus, for the joy set before him, endured the cross. Right? The gospel is our long-term goal. What's the gospel? It's, it, it's all about our Christ-likeness and our transformation into his image. Everything you go through, God is using for the purpose of changing you into the image of Christ. If you've always got that goal in mind, you can effectively be led by the Holy Spirit. Because if you don't have that goal in mind, you can say, no, I don't want to be led by the Holy Spirit. I give up. I'm going to go and do this. I'm going to go and react. I'm going to run in the opposite direction. You know, when, when you're led by the Spirit, right, there, there are different uh, 
ways that, that you sort of experience it. Sometimes you won't know you're led by the Holy Spirit. You know when you have those conversations and just you're laying bangers and wisdom and, and then you walk away from that conversation and you're like, oh, that was definitely God because I'm not that smart. And then there are other times where you know you're full of the Holy Spirit and you're like, whoa, I'm on fire. Let's go and preach the gospel and pray for this person to be gone in Jesus' name. You know, you have those times too. And you just feel larger than life. But you can know that you're full of the Holy Spirit and being led by Him and being full of fire and in the very next instant go and completely rebel if you don't have a good gospel understanding. I'll say on the other end of that, if you do have a good gospel understanding, but you're not very good at being led by the Spirit, then you don't really know the gospel as you ought because the Holy Spirit is the one that leads you into the knowledge of Jesus and grows you up into Christ. You can't figure out the gospel on your own. You can know all the facts about the gospel on your own. You don't need the Holy Spirit for that, but you do need the Holy Spirit to facilitate that truth in your life to the point where it changes you. I'll give you an example. Jesus took your condemnation on the cross. Romans 8 verse 1 is like one of the most famous scriptures. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Jesus took your condemnation. So if I'm talking down about myself, I'm condemning myself. Why? Because I don't really know that Jesus took my condemnation. I know it as a fact, but I don't know it. It hasn't, the Holy Spirit hasn't revealed it to me. You know, when you come to that point where you're like, whoa, I'm not condemned. And you know, when you know you're not condemned, you stop condemning other people too for the things they do. And you're like, whoa, I don't need to condemn this person because Jesus took their condemnation just the same as he took mine. And I know what I did was really silly. And oh my goodness, that was a huge mistake. But you know what? You, you don't hold it against me, God. It's impossible for you to because Jesus, you wore it all. And and wow, thank you so much. You know, when you're at that stage where you're just full of gratitude and you don't feel condemned, even after just, you know, you do something really dumb, that's when you know it's a real truth in your life. Then you know it's not about trying. You know, like that's one example. Another example is, you know, like uh, Jesus is at the right hand of the Father right now, right? And he's interceding for you and he's speaking truth over your life which is the things about himself that he's speaking over you because you're changing into his image. Do you always behave the way Jesus speaks over you? Like he, he just says you're the bee's knees and that you're perfect and that you're this and you're that. Do you always act like that? Like I don't deserve to have Jesus say the things he says over me. He's my advocate. He, he fights in my corner even when I don't deserve it. So, you know, what gives us the right to start gossiping about someone when they're not in the room because of something they've done? You know, it's like it's at that point where a Christian ought to stand up and say, hey, guys, we need to stop talking about this person because Jesus is my advocate and I don't deserve to have nice things said about me, but Jesus is saying them anyway. So how are we going to say bad things about this person if Jesus is speaking good things over him? What we're saying is in direct 
contradiction to what Jesus is saying. We ought to stop right now. You know, like that, that's just part of the gospel that has application in our lives. And we can know that as a fact. But when the Holy Spirit reveals it to us, oh, we'll live and breathe it. We'll be passionate about it. Okay. So, my two points really are about, bless you, three points. My two points really are about knowing the gospel intimately and being led by the Spirit because those two things were Jesus' main points. That was how he lived. So, I'm going to preach the gospel right now. Actually, just before I do, people that are led by the Spirit but struggle to understand the gospel, their lives go like this. But like, I know all of our lives go like this to a degree, but like those kind of people, they, just, they go up and down needlessly. They just put themselves through so much strife because they sort of know how to be led by the Holy Spirit, but because they don't have a good gospel understanding, they give up somewhere or they react against what God is trying to do or, or someone offends them and then they're like, oh no, but then they like spiral down hard, right? And then they try and come back for that to be led by the Spirit again. And, you know, and then people on the other end of the spectrum who sort of know all the facts about the gospel, but, but they don't really understand the leading of the Holy Spirit, they, they don't tend to go like that so much. They tend to stop and start a lot because they're too busy trying to do everything in their own strength and they're always coming up against a wall and they're always getting frustrated. But really, when you think about it, both of those people, whatever side of the spectrum they're on, they're both trying to do things in their own strength. Even the people that, that some people are trying to be led by the Holy Spirit in their own strength by trying to earn favor with God by being good enough. You know, but it's understanding of the gospel and an intimate understanding of the gospel that, as I said, frees us from our own self-effort and frees us from trying because, you know, Jesus was the perfect son on my behalf and I, I, I couldn't be. I, but I don't need to try now because Jesus was. He fulfilled the standard of the law where I couldn't. You know, so now that law has been fulfilled in me, so he makes me perfect. I don't need to try anymore. You know, and when we just start saying thank you instead of please God make me, you know, we'll, we'll start to become like that. All right. I said I was going to preach the gospel. Okay. We were all born into sin, right? Adam and Eve, ah, big mistake. But you know what? I probably would have done the same thing. Can't judge. Jesus took my judgment. <laughs> And uh, I won't talk about my great-great-great-great-grandparents like that anyway. That's dishonorable. Um, you know, but uh, they chose to reject God or to, to try and develop uh, wisdom outside of God. But, you know, they really just embraced darkness when they did that. And God had to separate himself. And ever since then, we were all born into sin whether we liked it or not, right? We are born into this eternal separation from God that we couldn't save ourselves from. Because we needed someone good enough to be able to set the record straight. But because we're all handicapped right from the moment of conception, we can't really get the job done, can we? But God always had a plan, amen? That plan was Jesus. And Jesus, who is God, became a man. And he lived the perfect life. Always living in submission to the Father. Never speaking a word outside of what the Father said. And he was led by the Holy Spirit his entire life. He lived perfectly. He never, ever sinned. He wasn't born into sin, and he never sinned. 
He was tempted. I'm, I think he was probably tempted in more ways than we could ever imagine. You know, he was the upstanding citizen of his community. He was perfect. Can you imagine all the pressure that that would have put on him? Especially with his siblings, all oh, the perfect older brother. And Why can't you be more like your brother, James? Like, <clears throat> like Jesus must have gone through some stuff. You know, here's one I've never really thought about before. Jesus was perfect all the time. People would have respected him. Can you imagine the women that probably would have thrown themselves at him sometimes and he's had to refuse their advances? Never thought about that before. I think he probably went through it. But, I mean, that's just another temptation. But he never gave in. He always submitted himself to the Father. And he, he grew in stature and wisdom and favor with God and with man. And then because he lived the perfect life and because he fulfilled the, the, the law, even though he didn't do it in the conventional ways like the Pharisees expected, he was able to go to the cross and be an atoning sacrifice for us. His blood, because it was perfect and without sin, was able to pay for my sin. And so this transaction takes place where my sin gets transferred over to him when he's hanging on the cross and 1 Peter 2.24 says that he literally absorbed the world's sin into his physical body. He who knew no sin, like for all of eternity, he's never touched it. He's been pure. And now he just gets absorbed with all the sin of the world. And, you know, from, from, so he was hanging on the cross. And from 12 p.m. to 3 p.m., the sun was darkened. It says, the Bible says that it lost its light. And it's like the world became dark. You know, I really think that was picturesque of what was happening in the spiritual realm. See, Jesus is the light of the world. He's the true light of the world. But he was being filled up with darkness. And when he got filled up with darkness... The Father, through the Holy Spirit, left him, not only because the Father can't be party to sin, but also because he had to pour out his wrath on Jesus. Because if he didn't pour it out on Jesus, he would have had to pour it out on you and me. And that would have, that would have meant rejection from God's presence for eternity. And so in that moment on the cross, when he was absorbed with sin, he experienced the wrath of God. That's a lucky exchange for me. And then that happens. And the Bible says that Jesus, knowing all was now fulfilled, said, I thirst. And Someone brought him a, a sponge and put it on a stick and it had wine vinegar in it to give him a drink. And that was picturesque of him uh, drinking of the cup of the, the fury of the wrath of God, which was a, 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 some prophecies from the Old Testament, I think Isaiah or something. And... Uh, and then he knew everything was finished, and he, he said, it is finished, which is like the most dynamic, powerful statement that maybe he ever made. Just before we get to his death, do you know what I realized the other day? There was a moment in Jesus' life where he said something that was not in submission to the Father, only once. That was when the Father left him, and he said, Father, Father, why have you forsaken me? He never heard that come from the Father. He spoke that out of his own reaction. It wasn't sinful what he said, but that was just Jesus 
for the first time in eternity, speaking words that were not in submission to the other two members of the Trinity. Man, the pain and anguish he must have felt. He did that for, for you and for me. Wow. And, uh, and then he gives up his spirit. You know, the cross didn't kill him. He gave up his own spirit. He said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And his spirit, which actually hadn't been touched by sin, sin just entered into his body, but his spirit is, was in his body, but it, it's like its own sort of, sort of bubble. That wasn't really touched with sin. Do you know if his spirit got infected with sin, Jesus would be found with sin and he would rightfully go to hell for eternity and so would all of we. But his spirit remained righteous and so his spirit leaves his body and the sin that was contained in his body goes into the grave and it's defeated forever. And because it's defeated forever and sin is dealt with, the curtain in the temple that separated us from the presence of God in the holiest room in the world breaks because God no longer needs to be separated us from us because our, I'm mixing my words, you know what I'm trying to say. Our record is like our slate is wiped clean before God. And it no longer matters how much I mess up. But it's by the blood of Jesus. Oh! Like how good is God, right? But that's not all. That's just like part of the journey, even though all of that stuff is amazing. So Jesus' body gets buried, right, for three days, goes into a tomb, which is quite a significant amount of days because three was like a complete number. It, it meant things. And, and uh, you know, it's like our covenant with sin, it was like a marriage covenant, right? And, and if, if you're going to, if you're going to, if someone in your marriage is going to die and then that frees you to go and marry someone else, you don't want to just go straight away to somebody else. You want time to, you want a time of completion to take place, right? Which is different for every single person, but, but symbolically, this was a three-day period. It's like it's complete. Sin is finished. It's not coming back. It's it's not your problem anymore if you've received Christ. Okay, it's it's dead and buried. You don't need to try and resurrect it. And Jesus goes down into the underworld. See, people weren't allowed in heaven yet because Jesus hadn't atoned for earth's sin yet so people if they followed god in this life before christ came along they went to what was called paradise which was a nice place but it wasn't heaven and people that didn't follow god went to hades or hell and they couldn't cross over because there was a big chasm in between but they could see each other and uh and and jesus goes down there he proclaims himself to the people in hell but it, the bible doesn't say he took him out of there it just says he proclaimed himself but then he took all the people out of paradise because they don't need to be there anymore because he's atoned for their sin. And it says in uh, Matthew, after the resurrection of the gospel, like they started sharing what happened, it was on the day of first fruits. And they got to talk about the real first fruit that's Jesus. That's a Jewish, anyway, rabbit hole that I don't need to go down. But Jesus then spends the next 40 days. Oh, actually, I need to talk about the resurrection for a second. How amazing is the resurrection? See, so many of us Christians just talk about the death of Jesus which is important, and I think we need to have communion every time we meet together, not just on a Sunday, but every time we hang out with each other. Like, we should be having communion and remembering what Jesus did. But the, the death of Jesus just sets us free from sin. It doesn't empower us to live for God. That's what the resurrection does. 
So because Jesus rose again, he empowers me to live with him and for God the Father. So the resurrection matters a lot. So Jesus rises from the dead, and when he meets up with the disciples, right, he breathes on them and says, receive the Holy Spirit. This wasn't the baptism of the Holy Spirit that happens in Acts chapter 2. This wasn't the baptism of, of the Holy Spirit and fire. This was the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. This is just another word for salvation and being reborn. So the disciples couldn't believe in the Christ who died and rose again unless they met the Christ who died and rose again. It's the same way we get salvation. We don't just believe in the Jesus that died, but the Jesus that died and rose again. You believe in that Jesus and commit your life to him, you're saved. You receive him, that's it. He, he, he uh, makes your spirit new and takes away all of its sin. The term is rebirth because it's literally, it's like your spirit dies to sin and is reborn to the righteousness that Jesus paid for it. And then the Holy Spirit, or Jesus through the Holy Spirit, comes to live inside your spirit as well. So you get given a new spirit and you get Jesus' spirit in you as well. Like double whammy, right? This is good news. We can't hear this enough. And, uh, and so Jesus breathes on the disciples and says, receive the Holy Spirit. He spends the next 40 days... Well, this is about a week in by now, but you know, he spends 40 days in total uh, talking to different people, giving instructions, making himself known. Like People know now that he's risen from the dead. And then after his last instructions to the disciples to wait for the baptism of the Holy Spirit, he ascends into heaven before their very eyes. And he sits down at the right hand of the Father, where he still is today. He still lives inside us through the Holy Spirit, but he's also there at the right hand of the Father. And 10 days after he ascends to the Father, the Father sends out the Holy Spirit to baptize Jesus' disciples and everybody else that was praying in that upper room. And it just spread from there, right? And, uh, and what Jesus is doing now is he is still at the right hand of the Father and he's praying on our behalf. He's interceding for us. He's declaring things over our lives. He's being our advocate, right? He's declaring the truths that he accomplished into our lives. And the Holy Spirit that came out from the Father is making that happen inside us. And that's called mind renewal or sanctification. So Jesus is praying. The Father is blessing. The Holy Spirit is facilitating. And what the Holy Spirit does is he always leads us into the knowledge of Jesus and grows us up into Christ. That's his function. I need the Holy Spirit to know Jesus. And I need Jesus to know the Father. Like, all of that is the gospel. And wait, there's more. <laughs> he doesn't leave it there. He's interceding for us, but one day every single person's going to hear the gospel. And then Jesus is going to return. And you know what? He's going to be about his father's business again. And he's going to be putting things in order. And there's going to be a judgment. He's going to crush the remnants of sin. People that reject him in this life are going to be cast into a, a lake of fire for eternity. People that receive Christ in this life are going to be with him for eternity. And heaven is going to be, it says that it's a new heaven or a new city. It's called the new Jerusalem and a new earth with no brokenness. And they're going to come together 
And we're going to be given new bodies that don't get sick, that don't degrade, that don't get old, that are full of life, that can actually do the splits without breaking a hamstring. And we're going to be with Jesus for all of eternity. Just what are we going to be doing? Like singing songs, worshipping, you know? It's going to be a good kingdom. There's just going to be joy. There's going to be peace. We're never going to get bored. Sometimes the idea of eternity scares us because we think it's like this. It's nothing like this. There's no brokenness. There's no sadness. There's no weeping. It's going to be banging. Like that whole thing is the gospel. It's not just the death of Jesus. It's his life. It's, his, it's the atonement. It's his death. It's his burial. It's his resurrection, his ascension, his intercession, and his return. All of that has application to your life. And when you receive a revelation of even one of those little things, man, it'll, it'll just continue to blow your mind and you could learn about it for the rest of your life. I challenge everybody here. Like, you don't need knowledge on everything else. Like, there's a lot of helpful things out there. I'm not saying don't learn about them. But what I'm saying is you just need the gospel and it's all already inside you and you just got to unpack it with God. You don't need a second-hand revelation from someone else. You got it. It's yours. Wait on God. Ask him about it. I promise you go down the rabbit hole of the gospel, you'll never want to come out again. It's just the best. And that's real spiritual maturity, knowing the gospel in a way that changes your life, not just knowing the facts of it. Spiritual maturity isn't about knowing all the Christian things to do and church culture and Jesus is our wisdom. And the more you know Jesus, the more you'll get wisdom and knowledge. <clears throat> All right. And, you know, I'm going to make this point. <clears throat> what matters is not just what Jesus did for us. It's why Jesus did it. Turn with me to Romans chapter 5. <clears throat> We'll start at verse 8, and we'll read down to verse 11. But God shows his love for us, in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies we were reconciled to God by the death of his Son, much more now that we are reconciled shall we be saved by his life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. What's that saying? That's saying a few things. Jesus didn't just save me from death. That's not the best thing that ever happened to me. That's amazing, and, and I should be eternally grateful for that. I should be thankful every single day that Jesus saved me from eternal separation from God. Like, that's... That just has infinite value. That's a reason to be thankful. How could I ever complain about anything else when I've got that to be thankful for? <laughs> oh man, I stubbed my toe. I stepped on a Lego. This sucks. Oh, what do I deserve? Death. <laughs> you know? How could I complain? But more than that, because being saved from death isn't the best thing. The next best thing 
is that not only did Jesus save me from death, Jesus gave me life by coming to live inside me and filling me with himself. That's entirely, that's different from being saved from death. Being filled with Jesus. It was his pleasure to live with me and in me and to make me into his image. Like this is God we're talking about and he wants to make me like him. Doesn't mean I need to be honored and revered like him, but to, but to become like him in righteousness and in my character. That's, I should be thankful beyond description. That's amazing. I get to be like Jesus. And then it doesn't stop there. As if that isn't good enough. What that last uh, verse 11 says is more than that we give thanks to God. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. The whole reason Jesus saved us from death and came to live inside us to change into his image was not just for those two things, but to reconcile us to the Father. God wanted his kids back. And we're back. We're back in the Father's house. That there is the best thing ever. That's better than salvation. That I get to be with the Father for eternity and he loves me. Like We just get to be so thankful and so blessed, don't we? We have it seriously good. Amen. All right. Thank you, Jesus. You know, the more we learn about the gospel, the freer we can become to be led by the Holy Spirit. Because freedom isn't freedom unless you're being led by God. Every time I try and live free apart from God, I put myself back into bondage. I, I don't know how to do it by myself. Like we're, we're creatures of worship. We're going to end up entrusting ourselves to something. Real freedom is entrusting ourselves to Christ through the Holy Spirit. So, I talked about the gospel. It's pretty good, isn't it? Now let's talk a little bit about being led by the Holy Spirit. Acts chapter 1 verse 8. Jesus' last instructions to the disciples before he ascended. But you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you'll be my what? What? I couldn't hear you through the mask. Witnesses. You'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. You know, the Holy Spirit is the great witness of Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit is the great evangelist. Jamie King is not the great evangelist. He's not the great witness. I can't persuade anybody out of the kingdom of darkness because for the unsaved, their heart is stuck or captive in darkness. I can't persuade someone out of that. Only the Holy Spirit can reveal Jesus to them to the point where they can accept Christ and break those shackles. So when you talk to a person and you're speaking the gospel, you've got to trust that the Holy Spirit's speaking and doing the real work. You're just opening your mouth. 
You know, Galatians 2.20 says, For I have been crucified with Christ, and it's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I live, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Think about that statement for a moment. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. You know, Jesus is living his life through you. It's just your job to surrender and let him do his thing. You're his hands and feet. You're literally Jesus walking on this earth. Take what I say in context there. Jesus is living his life through you as long as you're giving him permission. So let's live by the Spirit, amen? Let's turn to 1 Thessalonians 5. So we're talking about being led by the Holy Spirit. 1 Thessalonians 5.19 says, Do not quench the Spirit. Or some versions say, Do not put out the Spirit's fire. You know, it's, it's not really us to make the fire burn. The Holy Spirit does that. It's our job not to put it out. <laughs> How can you put out the Spirit's fire? I'm sure there's many different ways. I think we all know all the kinds of different ways there are. I don't think we need to go into that very much. But we are called to maintain it. And the way we maintain it is, is, is through surrender. But how do we effectively surrender? Well, we've talked about uh, developing an intimate understanding of the gospel. But this has got to be practiced as well. The gospel has to be practiced. Now, we look at the previous few verses, 16 to 18. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. Give thanks in some circumstances. Give thanks when things go right. Give thanks in all circumstances. Things go wrong, you give thanks. Hey, who's really in charge, you or God? Something bad just happened. You're still saved. You're still with the Father. That doesn't tell you who you are. That doesn't condemn you. You know, I, uh, I'm, I'm one of those guys who has a habit of overextending himself. I, I'm like a reach for the stars kind of guy. I'll, I'll try and do things that maybe I'm not ready for. I'll give you an example. Uh, I stopped skating shortly after I left high school, right? And I'd, I'd just make a jump on the board once every six months or so. And uh, when Hannah and I got married, she bought me a skateboard as a wedding present. And I was like, sweet! But it was a terrible idea. And on our honeymoon, you know, we were traveling along the East Coast and, and we were staying in uh, Shoal Harbor for a little bit. And there was a skate park there. I said, honey, we're stopping. He's like, all right, have fun. And I started getting used to this board. And I started getting used to the park that I was in. And I start looking around. And I'm starting to get a bit more comfortable in this skate park. And, and I'm starting to look at all the ramps and the rails and the ledges. And I'm like, I could do that 10 years ago. Let's do it. My body was so not ready for this. 10 minutes later. I had a broken hand. 
on my honeymoon. You'd think I'd stop skating there. Ten minutes after that, I bruised a bone in my foot. I didn't even know that was possible. I just heard a moan come from Hayden. I already feel sorry for you. I don't know what's happened to you, bro, but it must hurt. Unless that was someone else that made that noise because you're looking at me funny now. And apparently a bruised bone takes twice as long to heal as a broken foot. So I was walking around after that with a bruised bone in my foot and a broken hand. It was pretty dumb. You know, but when, sort of when you compare what I do with what my brother does, my brother's much wiser than me, probably because he's a little bit older and if, if he gets injured and has to take time off work, he doesn't get paid, he's a builder. But you know, he, he has a much different approach. Let's just say, I'm going I'm to walk you through this process for a moment. Does everyone know what a fun box is or a pyramid in a skate park setting? Basically, it's a ramp with, it's got two ramps and it's got a, a platform on top and you roll over it. That's, that's a pyramid, okay? And, uh, you know, let's just say there's a rail on top of the pyramid. My brother and I will both look at that and go, okay, I'm going to try and 50-50 that. What that means is where you, like, you go up and you ollie and then you put both of your trucks on the rail and then you grind until you go off. Now, me being me, I'm just going to go up and try it whether I'm ready for it or not. I'm going to hurt myself. But my brother won't do that. He will... Bessie's just going to see if he can ollie that high. So he'll go up and he'll ollie next to it and just sort of gauge how high he gets. And he's just going to keep working on that until he feels comfortable. Then he's going to, he might try and board slide because that's easier, you know. And then he'll try and 50 after that. But like today, there's a process. But for me, it's just like, well, I'm just going all in. But I, f I find I, I've tended to do that with my Christianity as well. And I'll try and overreach and I'll fall marginally short because I have not valued the little things that God's trying to teach me along the way. I, I think we can do this with our Christianity and I think part of being in the age of information is because we know so many things, we don't appreciate the little things that God is trying to do in our lives to, to work us up to things because lots of little things, when you get them right, it turns into big things and you end up becoming a really effective, powerful minister, right? who's got your life in order and you don't really struggle as much. You know, like, rejoice always. We don't always feel like rejoicing, do we? Like some rotten things can happen that can make us not feel like rejoicing. Rotten things can take away our perspective from Christ and cause us not to rejoice. Pray without ceasing. <laughs> Still working on it. What was that other one? Give thanks in all circumstances. Like seriously, that's such a pivotal thing, uh, such a pivotal practice in our faith that uh, are we actually conscious that we should be working on that? Like when things go wrong, we should make it a point to give thanks to God. You know, like all these little things matter. This is... This is how we stir up our own personal faith and relationship with God. And this is part of how we don't put out the Spirit's fire. We'll remain centered in Christ the entire time. And if we're able to do that, if 
we're able to practice doing that. I'm not, I'm not saying we'll get it perfectly, but we don't need to expect to fail either. So that's sort of in our own individual sense. And, you know, you've got to read your Bible. You've got to pray. Everywhere I look in the, in the early church in the book of Acts, they, every time they got together, they prioritized prayer. They didn't do it. They talked about it. Or they encouraged each other. You know, whenever you get together with another Christian, like this shouldn't be a Sunday thing. Let's not waste an opportunity. Whenever you get together with another Christian, you please don't leave that house unless you guys have prayed together or unless you guys have done a devotion or, or done something to acknowledge God or, or encourage each other in the Lord. Colossians chapter 2, verse 16 says, Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. And I've forgotten it. I'm going to have to go there. Hallelujah. Colossians 2. Nah, it's Colossians 3. My bad. I told the people in the first service that it was Colossians 2. Joke's on them. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Like, whenever we get together, let's not waste an opportunity, right? Do you know what I find? I find that whenever I'm with another Christian, like, we're just hanging out. Like, we're just having a social thing. We're having a cup of coffee or something, or we're doing whatever. I find there can be an awkwardness around asking, hey, can we pray? Because it's like, well, I don't want to make this occasion spiritual. I just want to be a normal person. You know? Like, Jesus was a normal person. Why can't I be a normal person? Why do I have to make everything spiritual? You know, but Jesus was a, a normal person. He was probably the most down-to-earth guy you'll ever meet. But man, he never missed an opportunity. He never missed a beat. And the scripture encourages us, every time we get together, come on, let's build each other up in the Lord. Where two or three get together in his name, he is there with them. Let's not have Jesus as an afterthought whenever we meet up with our brother or our sister, even if, it's, even if we're not going there for prayer or something like that. Let's pray for each other. Let's pray with each other. You know, the best times I've ever had with my friends who are Christians is just, we're just hanging out. We're just doing whatever. And we'll be like, I really feel like having a devotion. Let's do a devotion. Let's get the Bible out. We just have the most amazing time. Time spent together with Jesus is the best time you'll ever have. You'll never regret it. Like, seriously, imagine I go over John's house, right? John Webb, using all the Johns in this service. I go over John Webb's house, and we're just hanging out. We're playing a board game or something, right? And I say, hey, can we pray? Do you really think John's going to be like, save it for Sunday, boy? You know, like, th there does seem to be an awkwardness around biblical fellowship, but the moment it gets asked, we're always like, yeah, let's do it. Right? So let's do that stuff. Because you know what I find? Revival does not start out of house. It starts in the house. Revival does not start by me just going out and sharing the gospel with the unsaved. Revival starts when you're sharing the gospel with your brothers and sisters who are already saved and you're speaking Jesus over each other and it becomes your natural language and it becomes the way you think. It becomes the way you live. Because Jesus can trust the unsaved. 
to come into a body of believers who know what it means to be saved. But a body of believers who doesn't know what it means to be saved, that person who just got saved is going to stay an infant forever. And there's going to be, we're going to be putting out the Spirit's fire. You know, so let's, every time we get together, come on, let's get on each other's nerves. Hey, let's, let's pray. Can I pray for you? What, how's your walk with Jesus doing lately? What, can I pray for you? Is there anything I can do? You know, oh, I've got this mad testimony. Let me share it with you. Hey, I just feel like doing some communion right now. You know, can we do some communion? You know, who's going to say no? Let's just do that stuff because it builds the Holy Spirit's fire and that's what consumes us. And you know what? The more you do it with your friends, the much more likely you are to do it when you're by yourself because you're going to be still fired up. Hallelujah. All right. We should pray. We should close in prayer. Um, no, I probably won't get the team up. You guys are fine. But we should pray. And after we pray, if anyone would like any prayer, you know, come out the front and one of us will pray for you. And, uh, but yeah, let's pray right now, hey? Thank you, Jesus, for everything that you have done. Oh, Lord God, you have sacrificed yourself. You have shed your blood. You absorbed the wrath of God. You died for us. You were buried. You rose from death. You conquered death for us. And you empower us to live a life for God. We're so thankful. Lord, we commit ourselves into your hands right now. Where Whatever in us has not submitted to the gospel, would you reveal it to us? Would you humble us, Lord God? Would you help us to follow you? Would you give us revelation, God? And, and you know, Lord, we, we love listening to sermons and we love reading books, but we want to hear your voice directly. And the freedom that comes with that and the righteousness that comes with that and the understanding that comes with that. Lord, we thank you that we don't live in an age anymore where anybody else needs to teach us, but we know you personally. And we can know you intimately. We can know you deeply. You have given us all of yourself and you have not withheld any part of yourself. Thank you for filling us up. Lord, teach us to be thankful. Teach us to pray continually. Help us just to rest in the fact that we're saved and that we're with you and that we don't need to try and be good children. May thankfulness build in our hearts. Oh, Lord, we love you so much. And we thank you that you love us. We are so eternally grateful. Jesus, we ask you to have your way. Thank you, Jesus. Amen.